Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hello, I'd like to welcome you today as we continue in our study in this wonderful book of Exodus. And before we do, let's just take a few moments now to look to God. Father, we look to you. We look to you, Lord, and we bring and present before you our eyes and our ears and our heart. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, Lord, you would open our hearts, that we might receive the truth the truth as we read and study here in Exodus, and especially as we see our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name, amen. Now, I'm gonna read now in Exodus chapter two, verse 10. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, in our last study, we saw the miracle of the rescue of Moses out of the water of death the Nile River, and when Moses was taken out of that water, that so impressed Pharaoh's daughter that she decided to give him a name, an Egyptian name, and that's the name of Moses, which means taken out of the water. But God thought it was a good name for Moses because God wanted, God never said, we're gonna have to change your name because that's an Egyptian name, it was good, no, no, no. God always wants us to remember certain things about Moses from his name. He wants us to remember the circumstances of Moses' rescue, because that's what the name is all about. It's about the circumstances of his rescue out of the water. So God wanted that every time we would say the name Moses, that in our minds we would be drawn back to the place, drawn back to the scene, that we studied in those first 10 verses of Exodus 2. And by saying the name Moses, 
God wanted that we should think of the miracle of his rescue, and that should bring to us a certain comfort in the great troubles that we go through in life. So by saying the name Moses, God wants that name and the meaning and the scene of it all to sink back into our minds. He wants that we should think of the miracle of his rescue and we should bring us the comfort. Every time we say the name Moses, we should ask silently ourselves certain questions. Could any of my troubles now be any worse than Jochebed's, Moses' mother, than Jochebed's troubles when she faced hiding her son, Moses, for three months from the Egyptians who were commissioned by Pharaoh to murder him? How could I be any more vulnerable, is a question. How could, when we say the name Moses, we should ask ourselves the question, how can I be any more vulnerable than Moses was when at, at the young age of only three months, just three months old, he was put in a small shoebox-sized boat and set sailing precariously down the Nile River. And when we say the name Moses, we should think that if God saved baby Moses from the Egyptians trying to murder him, from the Nile River trying to drown him, then God can save me and God can save us from our troubles. Because we also saw or see that the name Moses, it's not a Hebrew name, and that's important. Why? Because, well, we know it's an Egyptian name, and God said, you know, it's good for the Jewish people in their great leader, Moses, to always call him by his Egyptian name. Because it reminds us that God is able to save Moses, to save us out of the claws of whatever is gripping us. In his case, the claws of the Egyptian people. That's why when God heard Pharaoh's daughter named the baby Moses, God said, amen, that's the name that was a keeper. We'll keep that name. Now, we come now to a great change that happened in Moses. And we read about this in verse 11 where it says, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that's important, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. We ask the question, what does that phrase mean when Moses was grown? Well, does that just mean that Moses grew up when he was no longer a baby and now he was a grown man? To see what it really means, there's comment about these verses, and this is, we're gonna spend a lot of time on the comments, the New Testament comments about these verses, because they, they give us insight, and they teach us, and they instruct us in so many ways. So first, turn to Acts chapter seven. Now let me just explain that, as you turn to Acts chapter seven, that in Acts seven, we find out how this phrase, when Moses was grown, was a great change that happened. Because actually, Acts seven is the text of the last sermon that Stephen gave. These were his last words before he was killed by the religious leaders of the Jewish people. In this sermon, Stephen was helping 
us and the Jewish people to understand the history of his own Jewish people and their relationship with God. You know, there's a great book written, I think it was by Leon Uris, God and the Jews. And this is really, Stephen, in a much shorter um, text, really giving a history of God and the Jews. And so in this sermon, there's a recurring theme that's going on of how the Jewish people did not recognize God's chosen man to deliver them, or God's chosen men to deliver them and bring them to God. See, there was always this recurring event, a recurring theme that was going on, and that was that God had chosen a man, and that man was the man that God chose to rescue them, to deliver them, and when that man presented himself before the Jewish people, the Jewish people didn't recognize him, and they rejected him, and Stephen is going over in the Jewish history this recurring event that's happening over and over again. And so in Acts chapter seven, Stephen is showing them that they have a habit of rejecting God's man. And he says in verse 23, this is Acts chapter seven, verse 23, speaking of Moses, and when he was full, 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit the Jew, his brethren, the children of Israel. So Stephen is telling us that when Moses was full 40 years old, because that was it, he was full 40 years old. In other words, something happened in Moses when he was 40 years old. What happened? Well, as it says in Acts 7, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, notice how it says, it came into his heart. This was a change that affected Moses. This was a change that was not seen by others. It says it came into his heart, it arrived into his heart. So how did it come into his heart? It came into his heart because God had sent this into his heart. So what we see here is the great heart change of Moses. Well, what was it that came into his heart? Well, number one, the first thing that came into Moses' heart was a great concern for the Jewish people. This is a great concern, this was a change. For Moses, a great concern came into his heart. It came into his heart to visit, a great desire to go visit them, to visit, it says, his brethren, the children of Israel. A great desire to identify with them. And Moses had this new great concern to see the situation of his Jewish people. And God had put into Moses' heart this concern for the Jewish people. Now, if you keep your place here in Acts chapter seven, and you turn to Romans 9.1, we see something very important. Romans 9, one through three reads like this. This is Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, he's speaking, and Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's what he said. My brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So, what was Paul saying here? Paul was saying a heart confession. This was a confession on Paul's part. As Paul's really saying here, he's saying, look, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying. My conscience 
is bearing so loud witness in me that I have to say these things. And it's bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. So it's like the judge is the Holy Ghost in the courtroom and my conscience is bearing the witness, giving the witness. And the what, what's the witness? We say, what's the witness, Paul? The witness is that he has a great heaviness, that he has a continual, that means an unending sorrow of heart. It will not go away. It will not go away, why? It's so deep, it's so strong. He says that I could actually wish that myself were sent to hell, separated from the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity, if that separation could result in my brethren, he's talking about the Jewish people, in my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, if they could be saved, see? So in the same way that God had put into Moses' heart a great concern for the Jewish people, God had put into Paul's heart that same great concern for the Jewish people. Now, we look at another verse in Mark chapter 6, 34, where it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, and Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So here we see the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's seeing many Jewish people, and it says that he saw the problem with the Jewish people, the problem of the Jewish people, and he describes it this way, they were as sheep not having a shepherd, not having a leader, not having a guide, not having a person to lead them out of danger into safety. And of course, we're talking about eternal danger, eternal safety, so not having a person to lead them out of the eternal danger of hell into the eternal safety of heaven. They didn't have that. And it says when he saw this problem, he felt this problem. He didn't just see it from a distance, it says he had compassion. It says, in fact, it doesn't say he had compassion, it said he was moved with compassion toward them. So this moved him in this feeling he had. He felt their lostness. He felt their danger. He felt being without a leader. And what did he do to correct the problem? What did he do to correct the situation? He did immediately move to correct the problem, and it says he began to teach them many things. So the people were in need of teaching it says in another place in the Bible, my people, the Jewish people, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why do they have lack of knowledge? Because no one's teaching them. What are, they, what are the rabbis and the others teaching them? They're teaching them about the, all the intricacies of what they can and cannot do on the Sabbath. And that's not leading them out of the danger of hell into the safety of heaven. Because they really need to be taught how to have their sins forgiven. How to become a child of God how to become a friend of God. And there's only one way to do that, as John 14, 6 explains, where the Lord Jesus Christ said, he is the way to God. He is the truth about God. He is the life of God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so are the rabbis teaching the Jewish people about the Lord Jesus Christ? They should be. Now, furthermore, it says in Matthew 27, 23, 37, when the Lord Jesus Christ is standing over and looking at Jerusalem, he cries out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, 
how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings and ye would not. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ. He's surveying the outside of the city of Jerusalem. He's looking at it all right now. And as he looks at it, his heart can't stand it any longer. And he cries out from his heart over the Jewish people. He cries out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The cry of, of grief, the cry of awakening, the cry of sadness and sorrow. And why is he brokenhearted for the Jewish people? He explains why he's brokenhearted for the Jewish people because he says the Jewish people have killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to them. Who sent them? Who sent the prophets? Who sent the others to them? Because it says it was him. He identifies himself. He says, I was the one who sent. He says, the Lord Jesus himself was sending those messengers to them, and they were killing the messengers because he was sending those messengers, and he says he was sending those messengers often, often, one right after the other. They killed the prophets, they killed Isaiah. They killed the prophets one by one. Messengers sent to them because his purpose, he says, my purpose in sending all those messengers, he was he's saying, I was sending them, and he was saying, I was trying to gather you I was trying to protect you. I was trying to feed you. Look at the hen and the chicken and understand what I was doing. I was, does not the hen gather her chickens so she can protect them? She can feed them. She can take care of them. That's what I was doing. My wings were being spread over you as the messengers were coming. And what were you doing? Killing the messengers. And the most tragic statement of all was there was only one reason why they weren't gathered. There was only one reason why they weren't protected, only one reason why they weren't nourished. There was only one reason why they killed the messengers, and that was because they, the Jewish people, had made a calm, resolute decision to not come. As one Jewish man put it like this, I would rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus. In the same way, Moses and Paul's heart were broken and concerned for the Jewish people. And we see the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, concerned for the Jewish people. In fact, from these verses, we see why a concern for the Jewish people came into the heart of Moses, came into the heart of Paul, because they were just more of those who were sent. How often would I have gathered? They were part of the often, that's what they were because the Lord Jesus Christ had sent them there, and the Lord Jesus Christ had sent the concerned into the heart. And so there are many Christians today, many Christians who, like Moses, have a concern for the Jewish people. There are many Christians who are concerned for the Jewish people, and they're so very, very different from the Jewish people. There are many Christians, like Indian Christians, like Filipino Christians, who are concerned for the Jewish people, and they are isolated from the Jewish people. They never even see Jewish people. I've heard them try to explain. As I asked them, I said, why are you concerned for the Jewish people? You are so different from the Jewish people. You are so isolated from the Jewish people. Why do you have a concern for the Jewish people? And they try to explain why they have a concern for the Jewish people, and it's very obvious that their concern for the Jewish people is unexplainable. 
It's just unexplainable because they say something like, well, they're God's people, but it's clear that there's no rational reason why this Gentile, so removed from the Jewish people, the Jewish people who are so characterized as being despised and rejectors of the Lord Jesus, but they have this real heart burden, continual sorrow like Paul spoke about. It's very obvious what's happened to these Christians who are concerned for the Jewish people. The same thing that happened to Moses, it came into their hearts, just as it came into Moses' heart. It came into their hearts, it came into Moses' hearts because the Lord Jesus Christ sent that care and concern into their hearts. It was that care, that concern for the Jewish people that came into the heart of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, and he had this tremendous concern for his Jewish people, and it caused the enemies of the Jewish people at his time to grieve over it. And that's described in Nehemiah 2.10 where it says, when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, that, that Nehemiah had come, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. From that verse, we learn what a person does who has the God-sent concern for the Jewish people in his heart. Like Jeremiah, he comes to seek the welfare of the children of Israel, the welfare of the Jewish people. And there can be no greater welfare of the Jewish people until they have had their sins forgiven, become children of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, to seek the welfare of the Jewish people is to do everything possible to bring, to help the Jewish people to come on their own to their God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why does God send a concern for the Jewish people into the heart of believers? Because God has promised that the Jewish people will show forth his glory. They will show forth the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means, therefore, is that there's no hatred of the Jewish people that is not a direct challenge to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who called himself the king of the Jews. There's no anti-Semitic slur. There's no anti-Semitic intent or thought. There's no anti-Semitic act that's not a direct challenge to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. So now when we see in Exodus 2.11 this verse, and we see it as the description of the great turning point in Moses' life, and in that verse the phrase, he went out unto his brethren, describes to us what he did after God sent the concern came into his heart for the Jewish people. He went out unto his brethren. This describes what Moses did when the concern came. He went to them, he went to visit them, he went to deliver them, he went to, and that's a lesson for us. Because as God sends to us a concern for the Jewish people, then we get up and we go to them and we bring them the deliverer. And we bring the deliverer to them and we bring them to the deliverer. That's what we do, that's, what, that's a picture there with Moses. And in verse 11, it says, very important phrase in two words, when it describes them, he sees them, Moses sees them as his brethren. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto 
his brethren. Now to see this great change in Moses, we have to look at the Jewish people from Moses' point of view. Verse 10 says about Moses that when Jochebed turned Moses over to Pharaoh, it says, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he, that's Moses, he became her son. And she called his name Moses, for she said, because I drew him out of the water. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 